Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on this Pentecost Sunday. Welcome to our online worship service of the Village Community Presbyterian Church. I offer a warm greeting on behalf of our members and staff. Wherever you are gathered on God's good world, that you would be blessed as we praise the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm wearing a red tie and right here behind me is a, is a red stole to indicate the changing of the times as we move from the Easter season to Pentecost. And Pentecost, which means 50, is 50 days after Easter. And so we enter the season of Pentecost when we remember and celebrate the gifting of the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and gave the Holy Spirit. Why red? Ancient worshiping communities connected the description in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, that the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and disciples in the upper room like flames of fire. And so red indicating like flames, the Holy Spirit empowering and, and enabling the church to be on fire, to be passionate for the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I welcome you and we welcome you to join us on, on site uh, for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. for the remaining Sundays in the month of May as we gather for outdoor uh, worship services observing COVID protocols with facial masking and physical distancing. Please note that uh, beginning the first Sunday in June, June 6, we'll be moving to two worship services, 9 a.m. at the outdoor patio at our church campus, and then 10.30 in our sanctuary. And so we're looking forward to that. Please be in prayer as we make plans and preparations for those worship times. Continue to support the ministries of the Village Church through your gifts and tithes. Please send those in through the church's website online portal, through our church's app on your mobile devices, or send in your contributions through regular postal mail to the church's office at 6225 Paseo Delicias, Box 704 in Rancho Santa Fe, 92067. As a church, we are a praying community, and so please share your prayer concerns or prayers of thanksgiving to us pastors. We'll also share that with the deacons and the prayer chain, and the email addresses are flashed on your screen. Let us hold in prayer Pastor Jack as he is traveling with a delegation from the Outreach Foundation in Lebanon uh, to offer a solidarity visit to various mission partners and ecumenical partners there in that region. Let us hold in prayer our siblings in the faith in Lebanon and the National Evangelical Synod in Syria and Lebanon. For all news and announcements, I refer you to the church communication I sent last Wednesday. Visit our church's website, villagechurch.org, for up-to-date news and announcements concerning our community of faith. We are here to worship the living God. Let us hear and receive these words from sacred scripture as the Holy Spirit prepares us for holy worship. From Psalm 104. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. 
Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, let us worship the living God in the Holy Spirit. Sunday, and we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church after Jesus was ascended. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, and also the one who convicts us of sin. We are invited by the power of the Holy Spirit to confess our sins and be assured of God's forgiveness. Will you please join me in the prayer of confession? Almighty God, you poured your spirit upon gathered disciples, creating bold tongues, open ears, and a new community of faith. We confess that we hold back the force of your spirit among us. We do not listen for your word of grace, speak the good news of your love, or live as a people made one in Christ. Have mercy on us, O God. Transform our timid lives by the power of your spirit and fill us with a flaming desire to be your faithful people, doing your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance from John chapter 20. 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In Christ we are free from sin. Let us rest in that knowledge. Now, brothers and sisters, may the peace of Christ be with you. Share that peace with those around you. Find a neighbor that needs a good word and share that peace of Christ. Amen.
children. I'm Pastor Jan, and I'm so excited to share with you this morning about some friends of Jesus. They were called the disciples, and we find this story in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Now, Jesus was with his disciples, and he asked them this question, who do people say that I am? And they began to answer, and they said, well, some say you're like a prophet, or, or maybe you're Elijah, which was an Old Testament prophet. And some think maybe you're even John the Baptist. And then Jesus looked at them again and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, his disciple, said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you are right. And upon the faith statement you have made, I will build my church. And let me tell you, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own, but God put that in your heart. That's what we have when we have God helping us to discover what it is that we know, and we know that Jesus is God's son. Now I have a question for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Would you share that with your parents or your brothers and sisters? And would you also share that with your neighbor? Because that's what Peter began to do when he knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He shared it with so many people. And God invites us to be people that share our faith. God bless you today in Sunday School. Bye for now. Every week we join in prayer, and I invite you to join me. I will lead in a pastoral prayer, and I will pause and say the words, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We'll finish our prayer time together by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Please join me as we pray. God of love and compassion, worthy of all praise and obedience, Son of God, Jesus, we humbly give thanks for our salvation made possible through your work on the cross in redeeming our brokenness and making us right with God the Father. Holy Spirit, renewer and counselor, direct our prayers. We pray for Pastor Jack as he is in Lebanon serving the churches and communities with the love and care of Jesus. Protect him in his travels and lead him, Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray for a church community here and ask that you would indeed give us boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus to the whole world, including our neighbor next door, across town, and across the borders. 
Give our words, Holy Spirit of God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Guide Pastor Neil as he brings the message. Quicken our hearts to breathe deeply your breath, O Lord. Empower us afresh with your Holy Spirit as we hear and receive your word. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Our hearts cry out for the violence of people everywhere. Bring peace, Lord God, to the conflicts in Israel and Palestine for the unrest in so many countries, especially in the Americas, as well as in Africa and Malaysia. Move your spirit upon the hearts of those who seek revenge, violence, and unrest, and turn their hearts to compassion, peace, and reconciliation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Our gracious Father in heaven, let us continue to pray for all people. Help us model the unconditional love of Jesus, filled with Holy Spirit and confidence in your work. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and the atmosphere your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord your presence Lord There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen 
the sweetest of locks Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the time in the scriptures with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. Eternal God, your spirit inspired those who wrote the Bible and enlightens us to hear your word fresh each day. Help us to rely always on your promises in scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now a reading from the book of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley it was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, 
a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. And now a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Give me that old-time religion give me that old-time religion give me that old-time religion cause it's good enough for me it was good for my brothers and sisters it was good for my brothers and sisters it was good for my brothers and sisters and it's good enough for me give me that old time religion give me that old time religion give me that old time religion cause it's good enough for me it's good enough 
Upon that mountain, my Lord spoke. Out of his mouth came fire and smoke. Down in the valley, on my knees, I ask my Lord, have mercy, please. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. There ain't but one train on this track. It runs to heaven and runs right back. St. Peter's waiting at the gate. Says, come on, sinner, don't be late. Every time I feel the Spirit in my heart, moving me, moving me to pray. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart. I will pray. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations and thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For it is in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Have you ever lost your breath? One night when I was in college at UC Davis, I had a spring allergy-induced asthma attack. And fortunately, fortunately, my my roommate was in the apartment. He was able to drive me to his friend's house where his friend had one of those uh, ventilator puffers. And that brought an immediate relief to my struggle to gasp some air. I know how it feels like to breathe as if you're breathing through a straw. Have you ever lost your breath? My maternal grandmother, who I've spoken to you about on many occasions, I learned about what it means for someone, someone who you love, to try to gasp for air. My maternal grandmother, who had a brain aneurysm many, many years ago, was brought to the hospital. She had uh, brain surgery. And due to that surgery, she was bedridden and had trouble um, breathing. And so they had to intubate her. The doctors had to intubate her. I was one of the three family members who were authorized and trained to to clear up her fluids and to operate the tracheotomy. And I would often see the medical staff change the inner cannula tube that was connected to her trachea and, and change that. And, as, and every time they would change it and every time that I would have to operate the tracheotomy, I would see her gag and, and grasp for air. I often just felt a as if a knot in my stomach and in my heart, seeing that my beloved maternal grandmother was struggling in that way. Have you ever, have you ever struggled to breathe? This coming Tuesday will mark the one-year anniversary, or the one-year mark, when George Floyd uttered those three words, I can't breathe. Those three words that reverberated across social media, across news outlets, across conversations all around the world. Hashtag, I can't breathe. 
as he gave voice, as he gave expression to the death, the slow death that he was experiencing at the knees of now convicted police officer Derek Chauvin. George Floyd gave breathless expression to the decades, decades, and centuries of racial injustice, racial oppression, and suppression that many in the Black community and certainly us in the Asian American Pacific Islander communities and other communities of color have experienced. I can't breathe. I can't breathe, George Floyd expressed those words that paralleled what is becoming and has become apparent in terms of the pockets of injustice magnified and brought about, magnified before our eyes in terms of healthcare delivery by way of the COVID-19 coronavirus global pandemic. For people, for millions in the United States and around the world who have been brought into hospital rooms and left there to die alone, I can't breathe takes on real and palpable reality. Have you ever lost your breath? One can also connect that statement, I can't breathe when you're so in love. For those of you who are married, for those of us who are married, think of that first time or perhaps that second time that you connected with your significant other, that you can almost lose your breath because you are so enthralled with joy and love. Have you ever lost your breath? The famed preacher and preacher of preachers, Fred Craddock, shares this humorous story when he, when he was invited to teach and preach at a seminary in Southern California many, many years ago. He tried to look for the dean of that seminary, and the dean was nowhere to be found. One of the students had come up to Professor Craddock to ask him, I need to know if you are a Pentecostal. And Fred Craddock grew silent as with the entire lecture hall. And Dr. Craddock was puzzled. The young man, the young student asked again, Professor Craddock, are you Pentecostal? And Dr. Craddock was puzzled and said, do you mean if I belong to a Pentecostal church? And the student said, are you Pentecostal? Professor Craddock again just was puzzled by that and said, do you mean if I was born as a Pentecostal, if I believe in the Holy Spirit Pentecostal? And the student said, I want to know, are you Pentecostal? At which point, Professor Craddock said, I don't know what you're meaning by your question, to which the student said, clearly you're not Pentecostal, and the student left. Let me ask you this. Are you, are we Pentecostal? Or are we Presbycostal or Pentebisterian? You get my point. We are people who believe in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is the breath of God, the Spirit who gives us breath, the Spirit, the breath, the life of God, the person of the Trinity who inspires, who connects us to the Lord Christ and to one another.
in Aramaic, spirit is the word ruach. Say ruach. Aramaic and ancient Hebrew uses that word to really demonstrate in a real way breath. You can't say ruach in a proper way without using all your breath and your throat. Ruach, or in the Greek New Testament, the spirit is pneuma, from which we get pneumonia, breath. We encounter the presence of the spirit in Genesis chapter 1, where the text describes the spirit as hovering over the waters. And then it says right after that, and God said, let there be light. And so the first encounter that we get of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is one who is creative. That wherever the, pre wherever the presence of the Spirit is, something fantastic happens. Something phenomenal and beautiful happens. Something creative that God intends to happen. In Genesis 1, it was creation, light, and and the planets, and the stars, and the trees, and ultimately human beings created in the image of God. We find the Spirit in throughout Scripture in so many places. And whenever the Spirit is present, watch out. Because we know and can expect that God is up to something. Something that is beyond our thinking and our imagining. Are you ready for the Spirit? We need the Spirit. And God saw that Israel needed the Spirit. And so God called prophets and messengers to deliver messages, messages, messages that were needed at the right time in the right place to offer words of hope, to offer words of transformation, to offer word of forgiveness, to offer the demonstrations of God's unfailing and unending love to God's people throughout all time and in all places. Our text today in the Old Testament is from the prophet Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, who's believed to be a messenger, a prophet of God, a man of God, around the 6th century B.C., as he was sent and empowered and enabled by God in order to deliver a message to the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon, exiled from their home in, in Israel, exiled from Judah, exiled from Samaria, to go into a foreign land. And the prophet Ezekiel is, has been called by God in order to deliver messages to Israel to do two things. To call them back to repentance to God. And number two, to enliven and reinvigorate them, to renew them in faith, to renew them in hope, to renew them in love, to remind them that the living God, the God of their matriarchs and patriarchs, has not left them, has not forgotten them, has not forsaken them. Our text is in is in Ezekiel chapter 37, but I would invite you to look at the entire book of Ezekiel. And even when you look at chapter 2, for instance, and successive chapters, just the first five verses of each of the chapters, chapter 2, 3, 4, all the way to 37 and following, we'll notice there that the living God addresses Ezekiel with, with these words again and again. Mortal, he says. Mortal. Mortal, for instance, in our text. Mortal, can these bones live? In other places, he will say, mortal, I am sending you to the house of Israel. I am sending you. Don't be fearful because I need you to tell them. I need you to tell them that they have forgotten me. One of the funny um, things 
God is like a barber. And in, in one of those mortals, uh, in chapter 5, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 1, the living God tells, uh, tells Ezekiel, O mortal, take a sharp sword, use it as a barber's razor, and run it over the head. And it proceeds to talk about split that hair, and just like it will show that I'm going to split up Israel, and I'm going to judge Israel. God is a God of humor. God will continue to address Ezekiel in that way because God is the Lord and mortal, I'm addressing you and I have a mission for you. I need you to go to Israel. Notice that God is harsh towards those in the household of faith. God didn't send Ezekiel to, um, to pagans or to humanists or to secularists. He's, he is addressing his people. He's addressing the household of faith because the Lord knows that God's people know of God's promises, of God's love, of God's law. And somehow their anxieties and their stresses and their, uh, their struggle in living life in Babylon, in wondering where God is and wondering where is God in our struggle, uh, that somehow all of that eclipsed and overwhelmed them. And in the midst of that, they forgot. They forgot God's love or they were... Um, wondering where is God's love. They forgot the mandates, the, the call of God to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, Micah 6, 8. And so there was Ezekiel and all the prophets coming to, uh, to God's people to remind them and to call them back to the way. And so by the time we get to our, to our text today in Ezekiel 37, the apt metaphor that the living God uses through the through the life and the, and, the, and the teaching and prophecy of Ezekiel is likening Israel to like a valley of dry bones. A valley where there are skeletons and where there are bones and it's a parched land. It's so dry. There's nothing that grows there. Perhaps a famine or a drought, but the idea being that there's no life. There's no, there's no running water. There's no streams. There's no vegetation. It's parched. It's sort of like Jesus describing the Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament as like corpses, like living corpses. And God is using that metaphor to say, without the Spirit of God, without my spirit, without my breath, without my law in your hearts, without the presence of the Spirit in your lives, it is like being dry bones in a valley, being parched, being quenched, needing to be quenched. And so by the time we get to our New Testament text in Acts chapter 2, we find there that on the Feast of Pentecost, now, the Feast of Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. This is a Jewish feast. The Feast of Weeks is the uh, Feast of Shavuot. Shavuot in, in, uh, in the Jewish language is, um, means weeks. And the Hellenistic Jews then translated Shavuot to Pentecost, which means 50. Because the Feast of Weeks was celebrated for seven weeks after the second day of Passover. So the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was connected to the Passover. Now, of course, the Passover, we know, was that feast that the Israelites celebrated in order to remember God liberating the Israelites from Egypt, from the oppression of Pharaoh, and that God accompanied them through the desert wilderness into the Promised Land. And so Passover recounted God's 
liberation, God's freedom, God's love that freed them in order to lead them into the promised land. And so the Feast of Weeks, the seven weeks was a time of harvesting, harvesting the grain harvest. Now, this is separate from the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, Sukkot, which was the gathering of fruits. Pentecost or Shavuot was the Feast of Grain Harvest. And what it did in those seven weeks, it brought joy and gladness as the Israelites, their families, their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers, children, they looked forward to that harvest to gather the grain and so that they could then make bread and make all the wonderful things that you do with grain. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, where the apostles and the disciples are gathered together, Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. That Pentecost, that Feast of the Pentecost occurs 50 days after Easter. And ancient Christian communities in the first century saw that as Jesus, our Passover lamb, the one who spilled his blood, is the one who freed us, who freed us from the clutches of Pharaoh, of, of powers and principalities that would seek to contradict and contravene God's love. So they attached the Passover to Jesus as a Passover lamb, and, the, and Jesus' victory, Jesus' resurrection, Easter morning, as that decisive victory of God's freedom and liberation that we are truly set free by his crucifixion, by his death, and by his resurrection in tandem together. And when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father as we confess and affirm in the Apostles' Creed, through him, the triune God sent the Holy Spirit. And so the ancient Christian communities attached the work of the Spirit to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the empty tomb. And so Pentecost then, for the ancient Christian communities and for succeeding generations of believers who follow Jesus Christ, we see that Pentecost is a festival, is a celebration of the Spirit gathering, just like the gathering of the, of the grain, gathering God's people, in order to send them out. And that's the pattern that we see in Acts chapter 2. As people were gathered together from around the nations, from around different locales and, and communities with different language groups, they were gathering together and the disciples and apostles were puzzled. How is it that they're praising God in languages that we don't understand, but they were united and unified in at least one thing. They were praising God. They had Jesus Christ on their lips and in their heart. And the Holy Spirit was enabling it to happen, gathering God's people, gathering their praises, gathering their lives in order to send them out. And then in order to gather them again, and then send them out and gather them again and send them out. And, the, and I would invite you to continue reading in Acts chapter 2 because as people, as the people who were gathered there, they were, they were confused. They were wondering what is all of this happening. Remember that they had, they were wondering where is Jesus? Where is our teacher? Some of them were filled with anxiety and fear, as we read elsewhere in the text in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, as uh, they were marked as people of the way, and therefore the Roman persecutors, as well as the religious leaders who were trying to look for the people on the way, they were fearful, they were anxious. And so the Apostle Peter gives interpretation to this miracle that's happening in front of them, the signs of the presence of the Spirit, these, these tongues of, of flaming fire. 
languages all around them, and he interprets it by sharing about Jesus, by teaching about the gospel. And that shows us there that the work of the Spirit is always connected to the work of Jesus Christ, to the teaching of Jesus Christ. He goes on in Acts chapter 2 to give one of the very first sermons of an apostle. He breaks down for us and for his hearers, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one who you crucified. This is the one who was resurrected. And so we understand the work of the Spirit in connection with the life and teaching of Jesus himself. And that's what, exactly what Jesus actually promised in the Gospels, right? That I will send you the Spirit who will teach you what I am teaching you. He will, the Spirit will be the advocate, the counselor, the, the comforter who will teach what I am teaching. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are in tandem. And we would expect that because they are they are the triune God together with our Heavenly Father. And so the implication of Ezekiel 37 and of Acts chapter 2 is that without the Spirit, we are dead. Without the Spirit, our souls and our lives are parched. But the positive is also right. The implication is, the call is, is that when we're in the Spirit, when we pay attention to the Spirit, when we follow the leading of the Spirit, when we bear witness to the work of the Spirit, and we invoke the presence and power and promise of the Spirit, we have joy. We are given wisdom. We are given clarity. We are given peace. We are empowered to do the work of God. We are prodded and encouraged to pray. That's the implication. Now, even though we know that, and perhaps maybe for some of you, this might be the first time that you're hearing about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Even though that we are called to do that in Scripture, to be in the Spirit, to recognize the presence of the Spirit, to rely upon the Spirit's work when we, when we fail or when we're in despair. We oftentimes don't follow the Spirit. At least one of two reactions happens. We either think, one, that we could control the Spirit, or two, we belittle what the Spirit is able to do. And we see this throughout Scripture and in human history. Let's take the first one, a first common reaction. We think as human beings that we can control the work of the Spirit. Now remember, remember going back to Ezekiel when God reminds Ezekiel and all of us, mortal, mortal, you are, you are from the dust, mortal, right? Well, oftentimes we as human beings think that we can control the Spirit. Back in the 18th and 19th century in the great revivals of American preaching here in the United States and even in Europe, um, where there were fiery preachers, preachers who would travel from town to town, itinerant preachers who would set up tents in countrysides and in different towns, bellowing from, the, from their lungs, talking about breath, proclaiming with loud voice and banging their, their, their fists on, on pulpits and, and talking about hell and, and, and fire and brimstone. And they would set up benches they would set up benches, and the front bench was called the anxious bench. This is where the ushers and greeters would, would, uh, would seat those who didn't show visible signs that they were converted, visible signs that the Spirit wasn't in their lives. Can you imagine if we had our ushers and greeters make that determination when you uh, come to worship, um, trying to determine, is this person uh, alive in Jesus? Is this person having the Spirit? Well, anyway, in those times, in the 18th, 19th century, as I said, I, I digress, 
those who were sort of not in the spirit or that they weren't sure, they would seat, the ushers would, would seat these folks in the front bench. And it was called the anxious bench because these people didn't know what was about to happen. And so as the fiery revivalist preachers would mount the pulpit and, and pick up maybe their King James Bible or, or what have you, they would preach and they would talk about fire and brimstone and, sh and scare everyone in the, in the revival tent to try to scare them out of hell in order to believe in Jesus. And the people who were seated there in the front, the anxious bench, grew anxious because they didn't know what to do. They were sweating. They were being preached at so loudly. They were being preached at so loudly that what the preacher was trying to do was to create fear in their lives, to try to preach them out of hell into heaven. And so often was the case then, there would be these mass conversions. People would cry, they would fall on the floor, they would confess their sins supposedly, they would, they would offer a prayer, they would say, I believe in Jesus. But then the following day, they would later be seen in the alehouse or in the bar tavern, back to their old ways. And so that, that first lesson or that first thing is that heart context, we as human beings try to control the spirit. Because what happened with those fiery preachers and Bible study teachers, by the time we get to the television age in the 20th century, those fire, fiery preachers then perform for TV. And they would have all sorts of demonstrations on platforms of people falling and to the point of even abuses where, uh, where preachers would say, oh, uh, put your hand on the TV and if you do that, you'll get healed and, um, you know, and send in your money to activate the prayers. Those kinds of things. We don't do that here in the village church because we believe in the work of the Spirit and what the Spirit will do in your life. But that's what happened. When people, when human beings think that they could control the Spirit. But there's another thing. Another human reaction is we diminish or have a little view of what the Spirit can actually do. The Spirit is the one who transforms lives. The Spirit is the one who answers prayers. I have heard, I've been with you all for over seven years now. And... I have received many, many, many questions from, from several of you over the years of um, where you share with me, Pastor Neil, I've been praying for my loved one, my daughter, my son, my, my grandchild to come to faith, to, um, to love Jesus, to come to church. And I see it in your eyes and hear it in your voice that you're straining and, and praying and hoping because you've been praying and, um, and hoping that your family will come to, to Jesus after so many years and you don't see the visible uh, transformation happening. And I say, and if you recall, for those of you who I've offered this counsel to, I say, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep sharing the story of Jesus. Keep sharing the gospel of Jesus and pray. Bathe it in prayer. Bathe your loved one. Bathe your spouse in prayer because only the Spirit can change lives. Only the Spirit can do that work. Your responsibility is to, is to share the message of Jesus. Because remember, the Spirit and Jesus are connected to each other. The teachings of Jesus and the person of Jesus are connected to the Spirit. And so our heart does those things. We either think that we could control the Spirit or we diminish the work of the Spirit. And that's why we need the gospel. We need the gospel because the gospel is the one that changes our lives. That says you can't control the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit. Trust in what the Spirit does because the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the grave. Jesus was dead as a doornail in, in the tomb. He really died. He ceased breathing. And it took God's wisdom, God's Spirit to bring life back to Jesus, to raise Him from the grave. 
That's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit changes lives. The Spirit is the one who lets us know, convinces us, convicts us, and convinces us of the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not by any strategies or stratagems. It's not by any particular proofs. It is the Spirit who elucidates, who illuminates, who discloses for to our minds and to our hearts to believe. The work of faith is a gift from God. We don't manufacture it. We can't, we can't believe unless the Holy Spirit enables us to believe. It's the work of God, remember. God is the one on God's terms, in God's timing, who will disclose the truth to us and to our loved ones. Not by our own strategy, not by our efforts, because our responsibility is to bear witness to the truth, the truth of the gospel. And what's the gospel? Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again. That's what we're responsible for, to share that testimony and to live it out in our lives so that our lives bear witness faithfully to what we are teaching, to what we are confessing, to what we are affirming. The Spirit does that beyond our thinking and our imagining. The Spirit is the one who grants us peace. The Spirit is the one who comforts in the midst of your grieving and mine. The Spirit is the one who grants us wisdom and direction when we're needing it in our lives. The Spirit is the one who will change your loved one, will change your spouse, will change your child, will change your grandchild, will change your friend to know Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, perhaps they're in despair, perhaps they have walked away. It is the Spirit, and we trust the Spirit will gather them and gather us continually to the heart of God. I made reference to this red stole. This particular red stole is very dear to me because 18 years ago of this past May 3rd marked the 18th anniversary of my ordination to the Ministry of Word and Sacrament. And this red stole was gifted to me, was gifted to me by, by, by my pastor who guided me in those years in, in, in seminary. Many of you know of my testimony that I thought that when I was a political science history double major at the University of California, Davis, I was headed to law school and thought I would run for Congress afterwards. But the Spirit worked in my life and I entered seminary. I entered seminary at about the time that my maternal grandmother, who I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, had an aneurysm. And I moved seminary from Southern California back to Northern California to help to nurse her and to, and to care for her. Every single day, she prayed for me. She always prayed for me when I was in, in school, in, high, in middle school, in high school, all throughout. She always prayed for me. And when I shared that I was going to seminary, she prayed and prayed. And when she was bedridden for five years in the hospital and then in the convalescent home for five years, that was the five years I was in seminary. And when I got ordained, it was a few weeks prior to that that my maternal grandmother went home to be with the Lord when she died in Holy Week of 2003. And then I got ordained a few weeks after. She didn't come to that ordination service, but I remembered her and I honored her, not only at the ordination service, but in my ministry now. The Holy Spirit does a work beyond our thinking and our imagining. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? and in mine, and in the world around us. So let me ask you the question I started this sermon. Have you ever lost your breath? In fact, all of us do. 
when we're not in the Spirit. But in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we have life. We have hope. We have the love of God in Jesus Christ. We are breathlessly alive because the Spirit is in us, works through us to work, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It is in the Spirit that gives hope, that in, in enlivens us and empowers us to do the work of God. It's the Holy Spirit that empowered and enabled our black siblings for decades, for centuries, to keep on keeping on, as they say, as my black siblings say, to keep on keeping on in the midst of oppression, in the midst of subjugation, in the midst of injustice. It was the Spirit. They preached in the Spirit because they trusted that the Spirit would provide hope when there was darkness, who would provide hope in the midst of despair, would provide life in the midst of death, who would provide that life-giving breath in the midst of valley of dry bones. Let's tap into the Spirit. The Spirit is alive and work here in the village church and throughout the world. Let's follow the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit so that the world may know and the world may have life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your transforming work in our life. Continue to anchor us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you for my sisters and brothers in Christ gathered all around the world. Continue, Lord, to lead us by your Spirit, for we pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone says, Amen. Bless you, Pastor Neil, for bringing us a message this morning. Would you now please join me, everyone, as together we affirm our faith with a brief Statement of Faith from the Presbyterian Church. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor, and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. The same Spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles rules our faith and life in Christ through Scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silence, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Come, Lord Jesus. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.
unto him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing on the promises, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot call, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing on the promises, I'm standing on the promises of Friends, now as we close this worship celebration and enter into the season of Pentecost, we do so with the presence, power, and promise of the Holy Spirit, who enables us, who inspires us, who keeps us passionate and anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ and connected to one another. And so go, therefore, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, bearing the good news of God in Jesus Christ, so that all may know of God's love, God's grace in Christ, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Receive this blessing now to him who is able to do exceedingly more beyond we can ever ask, think, or imagine, according to God's power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus from generation to generation, now and always. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.